the Exton Moss Experiment. Adventures in Wine and Space with Simon Exton and Ken Moss. Hello, hello, and a very warm welcome to another edition of the Exton Moss Experiment. I'm Ken Moss, and this time we present a crossover episode with the boys from the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. Yes, a few weeks ago we recorded an edition with Dr. Velvet and Blackout, covering Book Rogers in the 25th century, and also a little slice of Duty Free. It's the first of three podcasts with these fine gentlemen. It's hilarious, a little bit sweary, and exactly what you've come to expect from us, I hope. But we absolutely adore these guys. It's a wonderful podcast, and it was a pleasure to link up with them. So the first of our three episodes this month is actually one of theirs, which we've shamelessly cribbed and repackaged as one of ours. Take it away, boys. On your last trip, did you discover what the Earth people listen to? They listen to a great many podcasts. <laughs> they listen with their fleshy ears for around 14 to 60 minutes. <laughs> the Mountie Peg Adversity Star Show gives them nothing but drinking, swearing, and ranty opinions presented as fact. <laughs> Do the Earth people like this? No! <laughs> they clearly are a primitive podcast. <laughs> You'll get it tomorrow. Unlash get smashed. Sessler, survival moment and Is this episode, is this what happens when Ray Bradbury watched The Worm That Turned? I wonder. <laughs> When they jump on the horses to go in pursuit of the eavesdropper, um, we see, well, Book has Builder's ass. I don't want to see that on the telly. <laughs> <laughs> as far as I was concerned, this was what foreign holidays were like in Spain. Fair. What, studio bound? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Lit up like a fucking hospital. <laughs> I like how we haven't even got into what happens in this yet. Um, Simon, Simon, help me out. <laughs> Simon, help me out. You you like this, don't you? No. <laughs> what the hell is wrong with you people? Hello and welcome to the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour and to this an unheralded prodigious episode that is much of a surprise to any download schedule as a fictional farmer in pastel shades lurking the balconies of a Spanish hotel on the Costa del Leeds. I'm Dr Velvet. I'm Blackout. And we're here to scrutinise and sift through some 1980 screenings from the cathode ray tube. Yes, hello you. Thanks for dropping by for our casual cultural critique of vintage television where Britain's best-loved battle axe is never far from our minds because here, all roads lead to the mountain. If you head over to PeggyMountPod.com, info links for the episodes we're discussing is in the show notes there. You can find us on the socials, get in touch to say hello or even suggest some programmes that you would like us to cover. And before we find ourselves abducted on a... 
Producer Ken, you do realise that you are meant to take the batteries out of the doorbell when we're recording? Hmm? It's all right, I'll get it. It's probably the penny for the guys again. No, oh, not again. Sick of the fireworks going off. Hey, look, everybody. It's Simon and Ken from the Exton Moss Experiment Podcast. Hey! Hello, gentlemen. Hello, hello. Come in, come in, gents, come in. Put up a beanbag. Um, the cabinet is open, so what on earth would you like to drink? Well, if I may, gentlemen, I'll partake of a, a glass or two of Batch Innovations Winbury Gin. And what about yourself, Simon? Um, well, I could fancy gin as well. Uh, that's not really news, but uh, Batch do a lovely Halloween-y haunted orchard gin that's all toffee-applish and delicious. How delightfully post-seasonal. I like that. I like that. And I like toffee apples. Yes. Well, who doesn't? Who doesn't? And gin. So it's a win-win. It's a win-win combination. It really is. Blackout, you're not a fan of apples, are you? Or is it apples that you do like? Yeah, you do like apples, don't you? Mm. I think we've been there. What are you drinking anyway? <laughs> well, uh, as party season is just around the corner, I've got a bottle of Wagwan, which is a Jamaican melon cherry tonic wine. Uh, I'll put a picture on the socials. I've not had it before, but the thing right. which caught my eye in the off-licence, right, was this printed disclaimer on the back of the bottle, which says, the name tonic does not imply health-giving or medicinal properties. Now, <laughs> two things here. <laughs> Firstly, yes, it does imply that, lads. You don't get to redefine words just because their meaning doesn't suit you. You could literally call this anything else. Don't get defensive now. And second, this suggests some kind of backstory or legal precedent, doesn't it? Like someone explaining them. Yeah. My client's view, Your Honour, is that the words super safe, lovely, tasty health vaccine are part of the new brand name only, and that the product itself is the same mix of industrial floor cleaner and rat poison that it has always been. The onus for reading any small print is very much on the customer. Anyway, it's 17% alcohol, and it doesn't tell me what the other 83% is, so let's take a gamble, yeah? Well, yeah, let's that's, that's just do it. Just but would it be a poor <laughs> chance to say, guan, guan, guan? Drink it, Father. You know. Oh, oh, I will. And again, it's the um, it's the colour of cough mixture. Right. Oh Christ! <laughs> That's the reaction we wanted. Oh dear God! It's um, yeah, it's an acquired taste. Oh. Anything that uh, any taste that has to be um, acquired isn't worth having. Isn't that what they say? Well, quite. Um, what are you having to drink, Doctor Velvet? Well, I've decided, once again, to remain on brand in terms of the retro remit a la 1980s, mm -hmm. and I am supping the beloved lady's milk. I could say a few things about this, but I don't want to make a tit of myself. Yes, I've dusted off the Liebfrau Milch, and I'm <laughs> oh. drinking it from a champagne saucer. More on that later. But, yeah, there you go. Cheers, everyone. <laughs> Marvellous. All right, and so to business, gentlemen. Let me lead you to a world filled with the sights of silks and satins, of brightly lit dormitories and pipes with flashing lights. No, it's not the dressing room for Pan's people. It's Book Rogers in the 25th century.
Rogers in the 25th century was yet another televisual knee-jerk reaction to Star Wars, a science fiction, action and adventure sci-fi show produced by Universal Studios which originally ran from 1979 to 81, over two seasons and 37 episodes. Our eponymous character is of course one of the spacefaring pioneers from the golden era of pulp magazines and Saturday serials portrayed in this modern retooling by Airport 77's Gil Gerard. Having been blasted into space in 1987, lost and forgotten about for 500 years, Buck wakes from a space coma to find himself in a future which looks eerily reminiscent of 1979. Here, he's assisted in his daring do by Colonel Wilma Deering, played by Erin Gray, and the diminutive, not at all a cross between R2-D2 and C-3PO robot Twiggy, played by Felix Silla, voiced by Mel Blanc. For our dissection, we've watched the episode Planet of the Amazon Women, written by Dorothy and Richard Fontana, directed by Philip Leacock, which aired on ITV on Saturday the 11th of October 1980 at a quarter to six, right after Metal Mickey. When Book is out on a routine patrol and answers a distress call from a ship piloted by two young women, their thanks turn out to be more a curse than a blessing. Philip Lee what? Philip... <laughs> Philip Leacock. Exactly. <laughs> 2491. The year is 2491. That's where we are now. And of course, our two guests are responsible for this selection this week. Yeah, they're not responsible episode. for Buck Rogers existing. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm blaming them. I'm blaming them both. Mm. Uh, would, would now be a, an apposite time to make a serious apology for this. <laughs> Uh, well, I picked this episode because it had the, the name Book Rogers and the Amazon Women. Thought, you know, might be a bit of cheery ribaldry involved for red-blooded males. Are you even an American action hero if you don't have book written on your business card? This had nothing at all to do with the Amazon. Gentlemen, it's over to you. Rip away. I mean, to be fair, it is equal opportunities objectification because their costumes objectify absolutely everybody. Yes, they do. Men, women, robots, they don't care. Absolutely. This is soft porn, this. Before we get into the episode itself, can I just say that the intro to the show, where you you get like your sort of recap of why all of this is happening, even that says that he's just in an orbit of Earth for half a millennia. (laughs) Yeah. It's just like he went into orbit and got stuck and came back. I'm pretty fucking sure they could have stepped in and recovered him at almost any point during that time, rather than going, let's just wait it out, yeah? He might magically plop back down and wake up without us interfering. That would certainly be the cheapest option. It certainly would. And speaking of cheap, the title sequence itself Uh is literally the six million dollar man meets Dynasty. It's the aesthetic, the whole feel of it. Little bit of glamour, little bit of dirty engineering. I, 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 I did not mind the title sequence. Yeah, I, and 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 one of the actors um, I see is is Tim O'Connor. Um, he he, he's done a fantastic job straight from Crosswits. He's done a great uh, job. And, and, and <laughs> did we watch this back in the day, gentlemen? I did. I did not. Ah, no, I, I did. I locked horns with a lad at my school because he hated Doctor Who. And he said that Buck Rogers was infinitely better than Doctor Who. And I wouldn't have it. I what? wouldn't have it. Well, let's yeah. have him on. Let's have him on the show, and you can argue it out. You know what I mean. I do have to say that I like the map paintings for the establishing shots. I was going to say this. Yeah, I like I like the model making for the ships. Yeah, well, um, they have borrowed them from Battlestar Galactica. Even it, the sort of joystick oh, thing. It's yes, well, it's, just, exactly. it's the same production company. So yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do um, love the fact they've got a button which says distress. Uh, can I have that, please? Can I have a button with for the distress on it? Yeah, it's literally just a bit of. 
red prospects with distress written on it in um, <laughs> in white letter set. That's all that that's all that light does. Yeah. There is there are so many distress calls they need a dedicated light bulb for it. But to be fair, it is very easy for them to send out a distress call because all she needs to do is yank some bit of circuit out from under the um, the steering wheel and bingo. Yeah, I thought she yeah. was pulling out like a car um, stereo there. Yeah. And right, yeah. She has a spaceship that works perfectly but sends out a distress signal. This is Wilma, we should say. Well, Wilma Deering. It was impossibly beautiful. Uh, we, we she's have, just... <laughs> oh, don't, yeah, yeah. That was That's one of the other things I like about this, but yeah, we'll... Um, There'll be, yeah, there'll be time for this later. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Apparently her costume was so tight that she couldn't actually sit down in it, which is why all the sea, all the um, things you see on their sort of sky base thing, she is standing up and walking around and leaning over consoles because she can't actually yeah. sit down. I can well believe that. That purple outfit that she's wearing, purple's one of my favourite colours. I want that outfit. Yes, I'm aware <laughs> that I would look like 16 stone of shit in a seven stone bag, but I don't care. I'm aware that we've that skipped over a bit of plot here. Um, um, there's plot? There's there plot. plot. <laughs> Book does take this distress call, and there's two unfeasibly attractive young women in a spaceship going, yeah, our ship's broken. Can you come and help? And he's like, is it my business? And they're like, well, make it your business. And he goes, well, I can't take you to your planet because your planet's full of arseholes and they don't allow me there. And she's like, nah, come on, it'll be all right. Really, it'll be all right. And then they basically kidnap him because he's a man. I think it's the fact that Book Rogers is not only dating the hottest woman in the galaxy, mm -hmm. who happens to be head of everything in the universe, Yeah, but the first sniff, he's off. He ditches a promise with a sort of vaguest whiff of resistance. He's Book Rogers, he's got to get his shirt off. Ah, fuck it. I'm going to cancel my date with Wilma tonight. I've got these two. <laughs> With the words, you talked me into it. Well, they didn't, though, did they? They didn't. Now, once they get down, once they get down into the um, into the hangar, stop <laughs> any any kind of pretense that there might be any sort of subtext or faint or mystery about this is stripped away when they just start explaining the plan to their who's the who's the sisters bloke, the kind of the creepy servant bloke, one of the only men left on the planet, the celestial toy maker. That's yeah, it. right. <laughs> yeah, he borrowed Michael Goff's voice. So uh -huh. then, book gets let off. Hang on, before we go any further, let's just can we just stay in the London silo for a moment and admire yeah, yeah. the disco cables, please? Can we admire? <laughs> <laughs> because is it in twenty thirty? If is this is it, when we go green as a country? Are the roads and the driveways going to be littered with these? Because I've got no problem with this at uh -huh. all. Yep. This is this is the future. And I'll tell you something else. It does pay homage to the pilot episode of this series. And there's a certain scene which has quite rightly become a cult in itself. All I'm going to say, gentlemen, is it's called getting down. <laughs> Would you care to join me in the next dance? A princess does not... Does not mind if she does. I don't think I'm too up on these latest dance steps. Well, if you have a preference, it is my party. Terrific. How about something old-fashioned, huh? Sir, excuse me. Are you familiar with the uh, rock? You know, uh... Try it, try it. Come on. 
no, 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 no. That, that's not it. Just, just let yourself go. Let it go. Go with the music. That's it, right? Yeah. That's it. What are you doing? It's called getting down. It's a little before your time if it frightens you. Oh, so yeah, so it's like basically Book has been kidnapped by these women. Mm-hmm. They've kind of lured him to this planet and then they're going to sell him off at this auction. Yeah, sure enough, he's sort of like absurdly hairy chest. Uh, and of course, this room full of women, they're all like swooning around. And of course, we, we think, well, it's, it's quite sinister. They're not taking him out for dinner, are they? There's something more behind this. Are they going to, like, going to harvest his organs or something? Um, is this episode... Is this what happens when Ray Bradbury watched The Worm That Turned? I wonder. <laughs> and he's right? phoned up his agent, right? Okay, how about Han Solo, right? Except he's about 15 years older than he should be and he's wearing white polyester. Make that into a series. <laughs> right? You know what? I, I said, you know, I'm taking the piss out of his age. According to my research on the internet, um, Gil Gerard was born in 1943. That means in 1979, when they shot this, he was 36 years old. That right. man is 36. Mm. I think he's Clive <laughs> Swift's brother. <laughs> I was just going to say, it's Clive Swift all over again, isn't it? Oh, Fucking yeah. hell. It's got to be a wig. What? <laughs> you, Gil Gerard? Do you think? It, it's very lustrous. Hmm. <laughs> Mm. I speak as a man who doesn't. You know, I, I do not take two bottles into the shower. <laughs> the whole cue ball effect, but, uh, you know, this is not, it's not born of jealousy, gentlemen. It's just a, an observation of unreasonably thick hair. But you use an entire bottle of El Net, and that's the way it will end up shiny. I put my head in the shino ballo. Shall we move on? I tell you what, it's not just his hair that's thick. 36 years old is as firmly lodged in that man's past as his 36-inch waist. The only <laughs> futuristic technology on shore here yeah. is yep. the Grecian 2000 and the series of corsets using technology designed by NASA to hold space shuttles together on re-entry. I have four words. I have four words here which says, Book needs a girdle. That This is... <laughs> No, I'll tell you what, every scene where Gerard has an open-waisted shirt, and there are many in this, and he can't wear the girdle that they normally give him, he's got a belt on that's reinforced (laughs) with piano wire. (laughs) It's a fact. Go on to that scene where he's on horseback and he's wearing his leatherette jerkin. There's a single button that is heaving. Every time he breathes out, I'm thinking when that pops, it's going to take that horse's eye out. It's a fact. Which brings me to something, actually. A little theory that I've got, okay. Um, the name Buck, I mean, where does it, I don't know where it comes from. It's a, probably a nickname or whatever. But, however, based on that outfit that you're talking about with the waistcoat and the uh, the boots and etc., is Buck short for Swashbuckle? Is his real name Swashbuckle Rogers? Is that Could that be a thing? It's short for Buckleus. Buckleus. There you are. Buckleus Girdle Rogers. That's him. I suspect, going back to your previous conversation, it's short for buckle up. I do have a problem with this, because... um, Just the one. It's one of many. Now, due to an error on my part, I ended up heart-watching another episode, Buck Rogers and the Slave Girls. Now, thankfully, I was course-corrected before I watched the whole two hours worth of this, but... um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what I would like to know is why 
every woman that Book Rogers meets. I mean, he's in room of basically pimps. Female, they're all bidding yeah. on him. They've all got a collective wide on for mm-hmm. a man who is 500 years in the past. This is the equivalent <laughs> of Victoria Beckham or somebody getting all moist over William Shakespeare and sort of, <laughs> bye-bye, David, and then she's off with Bill. But that but it's, right. his, it's his name, isn't it? That's, that's what I mean. It's on his business card. Book Rogers. Book Rogers. And you're like, are you fucking serious? The only thing worse than this is that 2019 Midway film where Ed Screen plays an American war hero called Dick Best. And you're like, can you just tone it down? He stood there being ogled at on the set of Mr. and Mrs. circa uh-huh. 1978. The, 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 the girls themselves, they surround him and they're... Well, they don't talk, do they? They use a talk track so that they don't have to pay the extras. <laughs> I do like the diversity, though. The, uh, these Amazon women, uh, mm. at least 0.5% of them are black. Yeah, yeah, they've got one yeah, yeah. black actress. Well done, well done, yeah. guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is Amazon in Silicon Valley, is it? <laughs> um, with dresses designed by... Ming the Merciless with an unlimited supply of Baco foil. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So the interiors in this are very Star Trek, aren't they? Well, the whole thing's basically Star Trek played as a pantomime. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. You sort of think there was so much money spent on the crap effects that there was only money left in the budget for one microphone per scene. <laughs> so again, to ensure that every reverberating footstep comes through louder than the dialogue is meant to be recording. Um, and uh, yeah, again, as a result, every outdoor scene has the cast just bellowing at each other to ensure that the lines are picked up. When they're outside, when we meet the Prime Minister, the woman, and her daughter, uh-huh. um, where they are, the, where the grass is outside in that little foresty thing, I'm sure that's, um, that's Hazard County. That's, that's where they used to film the Dukes of Hazard. I'm pretty sure. I recognise that bush. It's got to be said that Xantia does look suspiciously like California. Well, I noticed that Book is unlucky enough to get bought by mm. the only woman that refuses to strip off in any way. She's the one wearing a cardigan in <laughs> August. Yeah. Fucking brilliant, yes. Oh, the, the Barbara Lott. Of, of this planet <laughs> you can say what you like about the planet of the Amazon women but I'll tell you what Lionel's hair boutique is fucking raking it in with the permanent lotion absolutely absolutely it is um, my god and, and Book Book we find him in a beautiful uh, leatherette combo, combo mm-hmm. which, which is which is rather ill-fitting I don't know if you caught this but when they jump on the horses to go in pursuit of the eavesdropper um we see, well, Book has Builder's arse. I don't want to see that on the telly. <laughs> I, 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 I don't want to see that on the telly. That's why none of the hotties were bidding for him, because when he was turning around in that room, the rest of them were getting a shot of that and being like, no. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Hey, Book, what's the crack? Oh, right. Um, but yeah, no. No good, no good. Maybe this is a huge turn on in the 25th century, or, well, just about the 25th century, 2491. Well, stop, book. There's only nine years of it left. 
But uh, I noticed that, you know, they're all sort of bidding 50p at a time. As soon as he starts turning round and showing off his builder's bum, pow! £1,000, £10,000, £20,000. Yeah. You've got to bear in mind with inflation, they're still basically bidding 50p at a time. (laughs) I would have paid ridiculous amounts of money to have David Dickinson appear at some point um, during that. <laughs> oh, oh, welcome to another edition of Any Old Shit. Today exactly. we've got Buck Rogers from 1987. <laughs> and to make him look particularly appealing to his new owner, they dress him in half a bin bag. Yep. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just... Mm. Well, bear in mind, she's an old dear. That's the only thing that she'll be able to tear off. Barbara Loft's got trouble with her hands, so she's... Uh, <laughs> Is it just me, by the way, um, or is Tweaky a complete prick in this episode? Oh, I'm glad you said this. He is a sex pest, isn't he? Yeah, because yeah. he, gra- he grabs that bloke's ass right at the beginning, doesn't yes. he? Yes, yes. He does, yes. he does. Bear in mind, he's a droid. He can't feel that. He can only do that to inconvenience other people. But the negotiations are done by those two computers that are kind of like ORAC designed by PlaySchool. <coughs> yeah. And w- one is carried around by Twicky, who um, Jill Gerard used to call the world's biggest dildo because of the shape of his head. That's right. Um, And the other one was carried around by random muscular bloke not wearing much. Traces of sill. Or indeed saying much. Again, traces of sill. Tweaky's voice doesn't match. Uh, it, this Anything. annoyed me. Well, they changed him for the next um, season. Season one was Mel Blanc. Bugs Bunny. They changed him for six episodes of season two. Mel Blanc ah, okay. was ill. And ah, uh, right. they, br- they, they brought a different voice in, and then Mel Blanc came back. They gave no explanation as to the change of voice at all. They just carried on regardless. Because um, all he's doing yeah. is waddling around going, I'm going to feel your ass. That's it. <laughs> That can be every episode. What is the point of that annoying fucking robot? Humour. Humour, yeah. Seriously, it's R2-D2, C-3PO. They need a funny robot. It's Scrappy-Doo. It's Godzuki. We're going down this road again. These programmes were obsessed with this element. It's, It's all of that shite. And then there was a little thing as well. I mean, Dr Theopolis, who is the, the round little computer, well, well a pendant, a yeah. thinking pendant, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Um, Tweaky presents him with a drink, and I think I'm, I think he says something like, I'll make mine a double. How's he drinking? How is this machine consuming drink through a straw? Again, I I'm think confused. you're looking too far into something that's supposed to be a joke. Yeah, well, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> what what the episode? I mean, I'll tell you what I am loving the Stargates. Oh, oh. look at this! Oh yeah, they were the nice. Stargates. Yeah, but 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 they like that effect way too much, and every time they do it, they spin through. Well, when books involved, they spin through Book Rogers right nostril. <laughs> the scant episodes I've seen, they sort of think, how can we make it look like we're travelling through a wormhole? Book Rogers, spin, and right nostril, zoom, we're at every time. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't take my eyes off his nostril. Nostril, close up on the Battlestar Galactica joystick, and... Well, this is the thing, as we've, as we've covered this, mm. this is universal, it's Glenn Larson, 
It's the same production company and rights holders as Battlestar Galactica. Now, in the scene where Buck meets a bunch of other captured male space pilots, you would think that someone would have just put Richard Hatch and Dirk Benedict at the back. <laughs> they don't have to say anything. It never has yeah. to be explained how they got there or how they got out of there. It'd just be a nice bit of crossover validation. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait, no, that would have cost some money, wouldn't it? Yeah. That's why yeah, we can't have that. that. Yeah, yeah, that's true enough. And with that, they made a big thing about introducing a, um, an archaeologist who isn't going to get as, uh, as much money as the others, but um, obviously very intelligent professor this and... He lasts two scenes, and then you just never see any of those again. I refer you to my earlier comment. They're basically harvesting their organs out the back. And they do the worst escape attempt ever filmed. Oh, for it is fuck's sake. I, I got to the end of it. I thought, there's going to have to be a trick here. <laughs> They're going to have to do something that will sort of, ah, oh, well, we were being deliberately shit, so we could do this. The fight choreography in this entire episode is magnificently shit, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, if the if the scene would be anything like the fight scenes that we've seen previous in the episode, good <laughs> lord! The first fight scene that we see is utterly incredible. Could could Gil Gerard really not hold his hands up for certain shots, thus warranting the use of a stuntman for uh-huh. the wide shots? Uh-huh. Close-ups, there he is. Wide shots, it's clearly somebody else. Why oh, is this dear. happening, please? Well, in the episode that I erroneously started watching, the Buck Rogers and the Slave Girls, there is a very, very lengthy uh, fight scene where basically it's an excuse to destroy the set. And I get the feeling that's a running theme across Buck Rogers. Oh, yeah, Yeah. fair play to Wilma in this. When she makes it down to the planet, she just turns up and starts shooting the shit out of the scenery. Even she's disgusted at the poor workmanship. (laughs) In the auction room... The walls don't actually sit flush to the floor in some places. Are they saying that just because there are no men left on the planet, all the building work is shit? Because that feels wrong even for the time. <laughs> right, right. I can see uh, blackout on your. I'm just peering over at your notes there. I can see something about badges. You've got badges written down. What are you doing? Uh, well, again, this feels like a, a very, very nitpicking point. Bearing in mind the um, the clangers we've pointed out so far, why of all of the Xantian military uniforms? They've all got this like patch on the left breast, they're very sort of like militaristic, fine. It's like a sort of like a double laurel with a star in the middle. All the patches are just sewn on upside down. Why? How was that decision made? <laughs> Who's it's, that's a, it's everybody. It's not just the one that Wilma's wearing or the one that Prime Minister Diana Dawes is wearing. They're all wearing it. And you'd like, someone's gone, no, 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 if, if you put it on the normal way around, right, it'll just look like a normal patch, like a sew-on patch. That's Earth. We don't want that. This is, this is the future science fiction. Put it on upside down. People will think it's, like, futuristic. Right, this okay, is space. Mate. Yeah, this is space. That's what they do. They wear them upside down. Right. Dear Fine. God. It feels yeah. like an odd production decision. Again, when, you know, they couldn't glue the walls to the floor. This was a terrifying watch. And it's not how I remember it. Uh, I remember this being of much better quality. Yeah. But then again, I would I would have been six years old when this was being broadcast. <laughs> so, yeah, perceptions are very different, of course. But, um, yeah, I, even the pilot is is of higher quality than this it's this and we're only in episode 10 here they've really got to episode by the time they've got to episode 9 they've thought do you know what I can't be bothered I can't be bothered with this <laughs> just do what you need to do just and yeah then 
as you've mentioned, every five, ten minutes, we get this kind of political diplomacy subplot that's been inserted to, to pad out a story which was never there to begin with. I, I don't yeah. know what all of this is about. The ending of this, I have quite a problem with. Because it didn't come soon enough? All right. (laughs) This episode did go on for fucking ever. This was a very long 55 minutes. Yeah. Uh, No, I do like the way that they're mining this black lump on another planet. They don't like mining it there because conditions are a bit nasty. So we'll just go and invade a planet that's filled with beautiful women basically rape and pillage so everybody that's going mining and raping the planet yeah we're we're kind of whoa yeah great stuff nice sunny weather california plenty of hot babes around no thought for the indigenous population no matter how many assholes there are bgbg this seems to be a bit of a a, a trend throughout our our, (laughs) our protagonists in this case you know thundercats anyone um Uh yeah (laughs) And yeah, then it all basically ends in this hangar where all these released prisoners are like hugging each other for, frankly, for reasons that I'd stop paying attention to for like over half an hour ago. This is my fault, boys and girls. This is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is you. It, yeah, is. it is you. But uh, but to be fair, it was it was what I would describe as a romp. Um, yeah, it was all right. Well, it was for book, wasn't it? Wasn't it just <laughs> plus points? This was released on Laserdisc in 1981. Get I would have bought that. Great stuff. So, gentlemen, we've reached the end of Planet of the Amazon Women, Book Rogers in the 25th Century. The question is, how many pegs would you put on the line? Simon. Oh, for all its shit, and it is really shit, um, it's very nostalgic. <laughs> And and there are bits of it that are quite pretty. Four. Okay. I was a bit bored, but I was more generally entertained. And like I say, I remember watching it at the time and the memory cheats a bit, but I, I still found bits to enjoy. Okay, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Ken? Uh, it's a four from me as well. It, it was a slog, uh, but... <laughs> On the flip side, Erin Gray. Yes. Apparently, t- she turns up to conventions with the T-shirt uh, that says, yes, I know I was your first one. Nice. God bless her. Well, it does take me back 25 years to those early days of fourth-generation VHS porn. So uh, for that reason alone, it, it, it gets at least half a tick. <laughs> Nostalgia. Oh. Nostalgia. Absolutely. Mr. Blackouts. Well, Book Rogers in the 25th Century is one of those programmes where I thought, right, I'll watch it through uninterrupted, then I'll give it a second pass and take notes. So 10 minutes in, I'm like, nope, not watching this shit twice. It's not even Planet of the Amazon women, is it? There's there's just women here. This is Planet of the Women. (laughs) Try harder, three out of nine. Mm -hmm. How about yourself, Dr. Velvet? I mean, it's not as I remember it. I have vague memories of it anyway back in the day. It brings forth a little bit of that old period in my life and it felt kind of all right, kind of cosy, kind of lovely. Ah, did I enjoy really what I was seeing? No, 
No, but I've bought the um, I bought the box set, so I'll give it three, so I don't feel cheated. There we have it. Book off. Right. <laughs> Ken, are we allowed to say that on the air? Yeah. He's given up. He's, <laughs> he's, <laughs> there's too many. There's too many people on this side of the glass. He can't concentrate on it all. He's basically just bumf zoned out now. So Peg's on the line, but the question that everybody in the 21st century and the 25th century wants to know blackout how many steps would it take you to traverse through stargates up the mountain well it looks like a long way but i can do it in three So, Buck Rogers in the 25th century has got that Erin Gray in it, yes, who was in Baywatch in the company of David Hasselhoff, who took time out in 2004 to be the guest of Richard and Judy and shared the sofa with Molly Sugden, who lent her inimitable tones to the animated film The Princess and the Goblin, as did Peggy Mount. If I had my time over again, I'd go to a different dentist. Well done, well done, very good, very good. Not to leave our guests behind, but Dr Velvet, can you join mm-hmm. me? Oh, I think I can. So, Book Rogers' 25th century walking Alexa is voiced by Mel Blanc, who also performed in 1968's Asterix and Cleopatra, alongside Patrick Allen, who was in 1982's Who Dares Wins, next to... Edward Woodward, who appeared in the film In For Trouble, with... Peggy Mons! I only took it to be polite. Lovely work. And, Mr Ken Moss, how many steps is it going to take you? I'll name that peg in three. Buck Rogers in the 25th century features one Tim O'Connor, who rocked up in an episode of Knight Rider alongside... Edward Mulhair, who appeared in a BBC Sunday night theatre, The Makeby Story, next to... Alistair Hunter, who starred in 1954's The Embezzler with... Peggy Mount. Where has Roger gone and what is he doing for you? Fantastic work. Superb. And can I just say, what a beautiful ring you have. (laughs) (laughs) And swiftly onward (laughs) to Simon. Well, my pantomime horse and I can canter up the mountain in three. Buck Rogers in the 25th century starred none other than Mr. Jill Gerrard, who checked into Airport 77 alongside... Olivia de Havilland, who was in 1972's Pope Joan, next to... George Innes, who appeared in three episodes of You're Only Young Twice, helmed by... Peggy Mount. Oh, she's trying to sell that bridesmaid's frock again. Brilliant. Brilliant. And if I were you, next time you're mm-hmm. taking that horse out, I would tiptoe past the glue factory. Right! <laughs> <laughs> That's that. As our starfighters leave New Chicago and are both egg-bound and earth-bound for sunnier climes, let's see if there's anything worth buying amongst the things. 
I'd like to introduce you to Honey Monster. Mummy. I'm not his mummy. <laughs> now, to help a honey monster through the morning, I give him breakfast, including sugar puffs and milk. Tell him about the honey mummy. Pieces of natural wheat, puffed up and tasting of honey. Honey, the taste of honey. I love my honey. I love my mummy. So, if anyone asks why sugar puffs taste so good, remember... Tell him about the honey mummy. If you can keep your head when all around are losing theirs, you're probably relaxing over a slow-baked McVitie's home. Because McVitie's baked their biscuits slower with a fresh-from-the-oven taste. McVitie's home wheat. You can't rush a slow-baked biscuit. Nobody makes that's better. Yes, and there are such great varieties to try, like chicken and vegetable special. Great taste. With lots of crispy croutons and delicious chopped vegetables. And barbecue bacon and tomato special too, with tasty smoky bacon and crunchy croutons. Real. Croutons. Tomato. That's special. There we go. Invest in the things. Buy the things. That's what's needed here. Buying the things. Just some of the things. You can buy. You can buy more things, but just buy as many things as you're comfortable with. But do buy some of the things. Right. Yes. Well, it'd be nice. It just manners, really. At the end of the day. Simon, Ken, do you have things? Do you need more things? I did quite like the things. We always need more things. Even when you've got enough things, you still buy more things. That clutter up the other things. Oh, fuck, he's good. See, words of wisdom right there. Words of wisdom <laughs> from Ken Moss and Simon Exton, who are joining us from the Exton Moss Experiment podcast, here with us on the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. We've just watched Book Rogers, and we're about to watch... There's that fax machine again. Will you oh, get it? Right. I'm, I'm settled, I'm on I'm settled I'm here. On I'm settled here. I've got my blanket on. Round my knees. Right. right. Here what we have go. we got? People oh. know when we're on the air. They know. Oh, look out. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Dear presenters, I'm not sure I'll go that far. When will you be going back to doing letters again? I found the sound of the fax machine in your episodes very intrusive. Sincerely, Patrick Post, 0891 Well, that's a very good question, Patrick. Uh, we asked Ken to move the fax machine into the mixing booth, and instead he's left it in here and he screwed the plug into the wall. So I guess as soon as the format of facsimile is phased out, things should quieten down a bit. So, I don't know, in the future? We need to have a look at the catalogue, see what else we can get as a replacement, I reckon. Anyway, yeah. um, on to the second farce of this week's podcast and I mean that quite literally as we sit in the sun and watch the shady shenanigans that occur at the San Remo Hotel somewhere in Spain Yes, Duty Free was a Yorkshire television sitcom written by Eric Chappell and Jean Moore. It's a continual farce set around the holiday of two couples in Marbella. Amy and David Pierce, played by Gwen Taylor and Keith Barron, and Linda and Robert Cochran, played by Joanna Van Geisingham and Neil Stacey. 
Despite sharing the same hotel, tensions between the couples arise from comic misunderstandings and good old-fashioned class divides while David and Linda begin an illicit affair just to complicate matters further. Carlos Douglas also stars as a foreign waiter. Duty Free was massively successful in its day, running between 1984 and 86 for three series and a Christmas special, and also had a stage sequel produced by Chapel and War in 2014. Gwen Taylor, Keith Barron and Neil Stacey returned for this. Joanna Van Geiskem, nowhere to be seen. But the episode we watched tonight is El Astro from Series 2, which went out on a Thursday night in September 1984. The hotel is sprinkled with stardust and subterfuge as famous actor Fraser Hines arrives for a stay played by the famous actor Fraser Hines, and soon initiates a romance with one of our central cast. Oh, this leapfrog is just going down particularly well. I think it's because I'm getting Mediterranean vibes. I don't know why that should be the case, because it's a German wine. But, uh, but anyway, <laughs> um, but, but I, I, I feel like I'm sat on the, on the patio area of the San Remo Hotel, obviously with a lighting rig above me, um, yes, yes. So what are your memories of Duty Free? Was this on in your house? Oh, God, yes. God, this was an absolute appointment view in this. Yeah. I loved Duty Free. I loved, loved, loved it. And I'm not ashamed. See, unfortunately, <laughs> at this point in the 1980s, I'd never been on a an abroad holiday with my parents. I was about six, five, six when this was on, um, when it first started. As far as I was concerned, this was what foreign holidays were like in Spain. Fair. What, studio bound? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. Lit up like a fucking hospital. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so it, it had the whiff of the exotics about it for a long time. Mm-hmm. That ain't exotic. Now, Dr. Exon, don't spoil the magic for the boys and girls at home. <laughs> Nearly 40 years later, that magic has evaporated like a fart in a lift. It is not good. Willing suspension of disbelief. That, that's probably what I should have said. Uh, to be fair, Ken, I'm with you on that. I had not been on an abroad holiday uh, with the... Well, um, I tell a lie. Is Jersey classed as abroad? I guess. This is um, the thing. I've but, been to the Isle of Wight by that point. That was it. <laughs> yeah. Um... We'd been to Jersey about five times, but we'd never... Uh, well, my parents had been to Switzerland, you name it. They'd, they'd traversed Europe. Uh, I came along. No, mm-hmm. you're not going there. Uh, Correct. But, so, so, yeah, it was the same kind of situation. I looked at this and thought, oh, isn't it glamorous? I mean, especially when you see Joanna Van Geisegem. She is the epitome of 80s upper-middle-class glamour. Isn't she? I... I would suggest. In fact, I'll tell you something now. I have a friend who has the same hairstyle as Joanna Van Geis again. Nice. And he loves it. <laughs> he absolutely loves it. He's from, he's from Witherwack in Sunderland in Tyne and Weir, and he absolutely loves it. And he'll be listening. Good evening. I do like that Carlos the Waiter, they've just given him the same name, Carlos the Waiter, He's basically a shit version of Manuel, and he is still yeah. the best thing in this. <laughs> Despite being given no lines. <laughs> Even when at the start, you're like, that music's neither now nor summit. You can tell the budget went on the soundstage, can't you? Do you don't like the theme tune? No, no, I don't. It's What is it? What? What is that? Who's turned around and handed that in and gone, I finished the music? I'll tell you what it is, right? It's topped and tailed with an air of mystery. <sighs> yeah, the yes, mystery is, why is. am I watching this? It's, it's topped and tailed with mystery, and what happens is it lures you in. Oh, oh, 
we're flying like a bird. And then we get this crackers flamenco guitar, which which clearly, you know, is a metaphor for the chaotic farcical element of the show. And then into the romance and the, the mystery. Bit, no, 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 okay. the, no, 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 It slows down when Joanna Van Geisingham is on the screen. It's horrific. Right. It's it just it's appalling to watch. It's like here's the glamour. This one's for the dads. It's fantastic. It, it, it's like it's like an advert for um, Tweed by Lonthric. It's Good marvelous. Lord. It's like a crap version of El Dorado. I mean, that in itself, that that in itself is the perfect summary of this. A crap version of El Dorado. At least with El Dorado, they built the set. For real. <laughs> Have either of you two seen any episodes of El Dorado recently? Not recently. Yes. It's, oh, a, it's fantastic. joy. It is absolutely <laughs> wonderful. I mean, you have to be wankered. It's the only way to watch it. Um, but it is wildly entertaining. Oh, just the first few episodes, we sat down as a group and watched episodes one to four or five. <laughs> staggered at how bad it was. I mean, this is bad on another level. You think that we've blown all the money on the plane tickets. Yeah. So we'll get the crappiest cast we can for 50p out of the back of the stage. Can they speak English? Well, it optional. It doesn't matter. It gives it, it gives us that continental feel if they can't. Right. It, it's so bad we were talking about doing an episode-by-episode episode watch of it. I mean, we were wankered, obviously. Nice. But flying us back to duty-free. Yes, back to Leeds. Let's go back to Leeds. Back to Leeds, where Gwen's perm is a thing of beauty. It is. Isn't it, though? Yeah, I'll give you that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and funnily enough, and Blackout, you might be able to remember this, um, D- uh, David, uh, played by Keith Barron, yeah. is wearing a shirt and tie combo that is exactly the same as worn by one of our physics teachers back at secondary school. So, there you go. <laughs> not really, it is, that it was is absolutely not, the same. Fair play, that was not the flashback I had while watching this, but yeah, that's okay. Right. He goes yeah, through yeah. a few shirt and tie combos in this. I tried to think oh. how big that suitcase was that he brought on holiday with him. Right, yeah. Well, that, that that suitcase, actually, the suitcase that he brought, was actually the full plot for episode one of the first series. I'm not even joking. <laughs> well, I watched episode one in preparation for uh, AstroTurf. What's the one we've watched? El Astro. And <laughs> That's the one. This man needs a medal. He's watched a shit book, Rogers, and two episodes of duty-free Christ on a bike I wish I'd not because by the time it got to the one we're supposed to watch I was burned out by that 25 minutes and uh, I had to have a little lie down because I was overstimulated (laughs) you were overstimulated by what? by the quality (laughs) by the the, the sheer magnificence it wasn't Keith Barron's legs Keith Barron and his clasps on his suitcase that don't work his one pair of shoes with holes in and everybody tumbling in and out of a fountain in a very obvious way. Yeah. End of episode and scene. Yeah. I like how we haven't even got into what happens in this yet. Um, Simon, Simon, help me out. Simon, help me out. You, you like this, don't you? No. What the hell is wrong with you people? I remember watching it at the time and being bored fairly crapless by it. Um... <laughs> I don't even know what... Ken, they're not coming back. Ken, these these two are not coming back. I I was quite impressed that Sugar Diamonds were the height of sophistication. So this episode (laughs) opens with a two-hander as Amy and David are writing postcards to send to people back home. 
It's just the two of them sitting at a table. So they go a bit like backwards and forwards. This section, I've timed it, is only three minutes long and it feels like ten. You taking the piss? I'm three minutes, thinking, is that it? I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, when does the fast kick off? I'm expecting this to be like, you know, hiding under the bed from minute two. No, no, it's just them with a bunch of scripted stuff that they had lying around anyway for three excruciating minutes before we are, well, basically before then, Joanna Van Geisingham turns up, says, aye, aye, Fraser Hines is here. So that's it, like a bit of prep for him arriving. <laughs> And then, I would love to hear her say that. Aye, aye, Fraser Orange is here. Then he, stroll, he strolls in with his power bouffant and lemon yellow chinos. All of a sudden, fucking bang, we started. I took some consultation on the colour of his slacks, and I'm here to tell you that they are Lurpak yellow. I thought I thought he was doing chinos throughout this, not slacks. But okay, I'll, no, I'll, I'll no. bow to your expertise. That's very much a slack. Okay. That's very much a slack. Yeah, okay. I, I, yes, yes. I looked, I checked, I checked. Um, it's a slack. It's perhaps because after Book Rogers, you know, there's too much polyester in that, so everything just looks like it's made of man-made, uh, natural fibres after that. Uh, well, yes, absolutely. I mean, got the opposite end of the, uh, of the scale, and what, what's David Short's all about? Because they're, they're obscene. They're absolutely obscene. But I feel that's very true to the sort of middle-aged man on holiday... In the 1980s, that's fine. <laughs> There's nothing fine about those shorts. They're obscene. The washed-out <laughs> shorts that matched, matched his pasty legs. Yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, the pasty legs. Yeah, we get that. That's the Englishman abroad, isn't it? Kind of, from the 80s. But the short, no, no. They're, they're young man shorts. A middle-aged man should not be wearing those shorts. That's why he's but, wearing them in this. That's the bit, yes. that's, that's the bit they're getting right. Well... So Maybe. I wasn't the only one that thought that his balls had been crushed to diamonds by how tight they were. <laughs> I wasn't looking that closely, but okay. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Mm, okay. We get it. We get a um, a little taste of uh, their backstory back home. We don't see much of them back home. Series three, we do see their house. I've got the box set, and um, we learn of we learn of Aubrey Broadbent. We learn of Aubrey Broadbent, the butcher, yeah. who. Who's fancied Amy since they were at school together? And David, I, I believe David and Amy are childhood sweethearts. But Aubrey Broadbent, she used to work at the local butchers. He's always had a thing for her. Yeah. And, and apparently, this has never been mentioned before in their marriage. Fine. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. Interestingly, they they also mentioned Tommy Wright. He sent a postcard to Tommy Wright. Tommy Wright is used in series three as an alibi for David. Um, yeah in another storyline, but there you go. You've done so, a real deep dive into this. I am he deeply has, he impressed. Has. He watches it like once a fortnight. <laughs> and, yes, you bring up the, the, the whole centre of this hurricane. Mr Fraser Hines, erstwhile Jamie McCrimmon and Joe Sugden. Yeah. I'm absolutely furious that he's not mis- mistaken. Well, he's, he's not recognised as Jamie McCrimmon. It's just Joe Sugden. I understand why. Yeah, it's because it we're on ITV, the that's why. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, but I'm just, I'm angry. They should put that to one side. He should have been in a kilt. <laughs> it couldn't possibly have been worse than either of the outfits they put him in. I love that you, Dr Velvet, have gone through this episode and you're going, you know, you know what this episode needs? You know what this needs? More men's legs. 
No. <laughs> As if that would have made it any better, but okay. So, yeah, leaving aside the fact that I clearly didn't enjoy this, um, on a serious note, the writing of this is not great. Eric Chappell and Gene Moore are better. Well, Eric Chappell is certainly better than this. Um, I do think, genuinely, that Gwen Taylor is making the best of it. Yes. Definitely. Agreed. And, you know, she's having to do all the heavy lifting herself. And, yeah, she's not getting a lot of support. She's certainly not getting a lot of fucking thanks. And whoever's running wardrobe really doesn't like her because it's it's either (laughs) a maternity dress or her best frock is a spangly dressing gown. Yeah, I was thinking Those are the two outfits she has. Why is she wearing her dressing gown? Is she going out? (laughs) I just love the fact that Fraser Hines is... agreed to be in an episode of something where he plays himself as a massive shit. I promise you he had not read the script before he agreed to this. I mean, I've seen him at conventions and things, and he is quite self-deprecating about the fact that he has... Uh, a bit of a reputation? Be, uh, somewhat, yes. Yes, yeah. I've been at similar conventions, and you're right. And I think this episode is playing on that. It's parodying that. And I think he was in on it. Right. Ken, the next convention that you're at, that he's at, you need to take along Dr. Velvet's duty-free box set and get it signed by him. Just plonk it down in front of him. Just go put your name on that. It's it's fine, actually. I've got my copy of The Two Doctors signed by Fraser Hines, so it's perfectly all right. Duty-free well, would be better. I, have, I now am the proud owner of my own box set of duty-free, courtesy oh, of Dr. <laughs> it landed go. on the doorstep oh, with a resonating oh, thump mate. last week. A four-disc spectacular. Mr. Boss, w- what a journey you're about to embark on. It's, it's... <laughs> Honestly, you're in for a treat, mate. I will go on record <coughs> saying that the, the last ever episode, which was the it was a Christmas episode, was horrendous. It was awful. Absolutely, I'll admit that. But I, 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 I enjoy... I do, it, it's documented. It is documented. I hate farce. To a degree. I and like you, the concept of And yet of you farce. love this. I like the concept of farce. I think what gets me... This this actually sort of brought this forward to me. It's, it depends on the characters in the farce and how they handle it. Right. It's their reactions. That's yeah. what it's about. Terry Medford sent me through the roof with frustration <laughs> because of his unrealistic idiocy. This... <laughs> is a little bit more on balance, so I can cope with this. You know what, I've got to say, after 19 arse dragon minutes in this, we finally get to the proper hide-in-the-wardrobe fast section that the show was supposed yeah. to be, and I'm like, it's about fucking time. Let's do this. Let's go. And then I've looked down at the time slider, I'm like, oh, it's nearly over. Right, okay. Have we, has it taken this long to get here? We've got... The first half, up until like the commercial break, the first half, bar about a minute, is just on the terrace bar. Then like you move into one of the bedrooms. Then in the second half, you've got two bedrooms and a corridor. The entire thing's just filmed on two sets. And every time you, co- you saw a corridor, there was a, um, a lighting rig shadow. And a waiter in it. Not just a waiter in the corner, front and centre. <laughs> Do you know, Simon, I have never noticed that and I'm now going to re-watch the entire series and look for those. I can't yes. believe that Simon spoiled this. <laughs> oh, 
apparently we've never talked before. <laughs> no, that's I, I've never seen that. I'm, I'm going to have to look for those. Yes, fantastic. I I wish there were some DVD commentaries on the box set. I really do. As a sort of slight flight diversion at this point, uh, yes, it does look very much like a stage production. Dr. Velvet, oh, did you go and see the duty-free stage play a few years ago? I didn't. Uh, so, yes, three of the original cast were in it. Joanna Van Gazigan was not because she had acting commitments elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Is that basically sitting on the toilet screaming no? <laughs> it could well be um, And she genuinely did I know this because because In preparation for tonight's podcast I watched an interview with Keith Barron and Gwen Taylor They were on this morning Talking about their preparations for this stage show And uh, they said No, she's off doing other things <laughs> She was not sat on the toilet screaming No, blackout Um <laughs> So, phoning up our agent every morning, one minute past night. I'm not working with fuck not Baron again. <laughs> you cannot pay me enough to pretend I fancy him. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't see, it. and I don't think I don't think it travelled this far up up north. Uh, so, and I'm certainly not. I'm not travelling 300 miles to see Duty Free on the stage. I'm not doing it. Yeah, that's no. fair. Did any of you see any of the? Benidorm episodes, because that became sort of a... It, it was sort of the shoreline where old actors that used to be in stuff like this got washed up, and Keith Barron ended up as the mayor of... Ah, uh, OK. Mm-hmm. I was, was. Yeah, I was under that sort of impression. I didn't watch any of it, but... I did. I, I enjoyed Benidorm. I didn't mm. mind it. Benidorm ran for I, longer than Duty Free, though, didn't it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, God, yeah. yeah. Ben, uh, Benidorm's like ten seasons or something. Yeah. yeah. Um... But, uh, I quite enjoyed it. Yeah, I didn't mind it at all. But it did skyrocket never, never saw when one. Keith Barron rocks up. It was like a nostalgia trip for a series that I didn't know very well. And then I saw <laughs> the series. It, it certainly, you're accurate in saying that it was a shoreline as such. But Melvin Hayes popped up. Mm. Melvin Hayes! Who used to be married yeah. to... Mrs Hayes. Wendy Padbury. That's right, that's right. Yes, that's right. You brought it back to me there. Who acted alongside... Fraser Hines. <laughs> I tell you what, I tell you what, I love it. I love it. You two can come back. I, you two can come back. <laughs> love it. If I'm off with the diarrhea, they can step in. That's fine. Yes, yes. <laughs> and you probably will be after what you've drank. Tonight. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's all right. I can do this in the toilet. Now. Thoughts on the episode overall aside, what do we make of the Fraser Hines's beautiful outfit in the in his last scenes of the show? I've got to say, I'm liking the I'm liking sort of the white and the pastel pink, mm. but his baby pink knitted tie. What the fuck is going on? A, a wardrobe <laughs> taking the piss. It's 1984, man. It's 1984. It's the white and the pastel. It's pure Miami fucking vice. I'm fine with yeah, that. At no point in Miami vice did anyone wear a knitted tie. And we're going to get letters down. We probably did. <laughs> <laughs> and if they were going for Miami vice, they really should have gone for um, the jacket rolled up a shirt sleeves. Yes, yes. Although, they did ha- although he did have the moccasins. Question. Something that they do in this episode... So, do, I've never tried this myself. 
Does holding a glass to the wall and listening into it work? Well, it helps if you get it the right way round. <laughs> You're supposed to put the open end against the wall. It does work. Uh, trust me, because I've had many, many entertaining hours listening to Next Door arguing the fuck out of the evening, and it it, <laughs> it beats sitting down to watch Emmerdale. Uh, but no, you do put the sort of closed end against your ear and the open end against the wall, not like... Um, and they get up the next name? morning and there's a bit of paper through the letterbox just says, you're right, Sandra, it is too small. <laughs> <laughs> Now, not that this will matter to you. In the timeline, in the duty-free timeline, this is series two. Yeah. Where, where now? Where about? Where are we here? What? What? Season one, they go on holiday. The first circle. Now, at the end of series one, do they go home? No, they don't. This is series two, which is meant to be the second week of their holiday. Really? Yeah, really, really, it is. Yeah, yeah. See, I couldn't bring myself to watch the first episode of the second series to break myself into that. I thought that they'd have come back and it was sort of, oh, fancy seeing you here. You've come back too. Yes, well, we had a, such a good time last year. I thought it'd be yeah. that whole crowbar shite, but no, no. No, it's it's the second week of their holiday. The longest holiday. Is series three the third week of their fortnight away? It's not. They go home at the end of series two. And they, when they go home, David is sat at home, jobless, drinking, but he's been in touch with Linda, and the two of them try to find a way to um, go back on holiday together. This sounds fucking horrendous. Well, Gwen yeah. Taylor's definitely got a perm between weeks one and two. Is Neil Stacey wearing Buck Rogers' chest wig on his head? Because his hair yes. is luxuriant. <laughs> I'm sort of under the impression that... They cast Neil Stacey because they couldn't afford Peter Bowles. Is that fair? <laughs> I don't know whether Peter Bowles could play that arrogance. No, he's too avuncular. I think he could. I think he chose not to. I think he looked at the rest of the cast list and he's like, oh, I'm busy. What, 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 are you, what are you doing, Peter? I'm sitting on Joanna Van Geisingen's toilet screaming. <laughs> <laughs> God bless him. <laughs> now, listen, as we as we approach the wrapping up of this, I get the impression that you didn't quite enjoy this on the same level that I did. I, I get the feeling that this was a holiday you wished you hadn't booked. Am I right? Um, <sighs> no, I, I've got to admit, I did quite like this. It was... It was nostalgia for a time I was never part of, which, if that makes any sense. It yeah. reminds me of that whole sort of agadoo culture that was around yes. at that time. <laughs> it created a very exotic idea of what Spanish holidays were like. And it, it sort of catapulted me back to a childhood where Spain was still a magical place and not a, a basically a long stretch of coat line that the British have ruined. So, uh, Blackpool no, with I, heat. <laughs> <laughs> Plenty of heat in Blackpool if you know where to look. Stop it. <laughs> it's dirty. Well, I did used to live there. 
actually Blackpool's a cracking night out. The Flying Handbag. Oh, I used to love the Flying Handbag in Barney Rubbles. Barney Rubbles, the only nightclub I've ever been to that cost 50p to get in. <laughs> and a pound to get out. <laughs> oh. Anyway, again, anyway. we're digressing. See, what, see, duty free gets us in the holiday mood, doesn't it? You know, we want to go away. We want to go to Blackpool. Yeah, yeah maybe we want to go to Blackpool. <laughs> yeah. Well, I only want to go to Blackpool on a holiday if, as we're driving there, we're playing the duty free theme tune as we drive into the hotel. If you're going to do that, you've got to play it on loop for the entire journey. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Let's just let the sun set over the San Remo. As I ask each and every one of you about your pegs that we're going to place on the line. Mr. Ken Moss, how many pegs for duty free? For all that we've ripped the piss out of it, it did give me a warm glow. Uh, And you'll be pleased to know, dear Doctor, that I will be watching more of my beautifully presented network DVD box set. I'm going to give this six. I did enjoy this. Okay. There you go. Bleeding mm-hmm, hell. Mm-hmm. It gave me that Agadu nostalgia. So I think yeah. I'm, I'm just wondering how many before I get duty free burnout, <laughs> and the nostalgia wears off and is replaced with a, a vague sense of self loathing. But I'm going to push it as far as I can and, and revisit this. No, I predict it's going to be about as far as when you get up to this episode again and you're five minutes into it and you're like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, this is it. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Dr. Exton. Well, I remember watching this first time around and not being wildly impressed. I'm not sure I laughed once while I was watching this and the height of sophistication was sugared almonds. Um, two. <gasps> oh. don't, don't get me wrong, I've, in, I've inhaled there, but I'm not disagreeing. <laughs> I, I was bored crapless by this. <laughs> And it was horseshite. That's what it was. <laughs> Blackout. I'm, ready. I'm bracing myself for this. Come on. So, by El Astro, Duty Free is halfway through its second series, and it's already given up. With the characters and the setting established, <laughs> this could be so much more. But the writers can't be asked, the cast can't be asked, and the audience is a sound effects record. Three out of nine. Aha. Uh-huh. Dr. Velvet. Yep. How many pegs... How many of your nine pegs, it's going to be nine, are you going to put on the line for duty free? Well, I might just surprise you. I might just surprise you with a with a completely objective uh, critique of this, but I'm not going to. Nine pegs, um, because <laughs> it's marvellous, and just to spite all three of you. So there we are, duty free, yes. It is literally <laughs> a vacation for the eyes, and particularly the mind, because you don't have to think about any of it. But the important question, the one that we're about to get faxes about, Dr Velvet, is how many steps would it take you from the San Remo Hotel up to the top of the mountain. Well, I can do it in two. Duty-free stars Keith Barron, who was, of course, the star of the show in ITV's Haggard, as well as Sam Kelly, who also cropped up in A Dream of Dracula with... Peggy Mound. I know what I'm doing. Kindly twist me, Mildred. Nicely done. Thank you. 
How about yourself, Simon? Well, Dobbin and I can also do it in two. <laughs> Duty Free stars Gwen Taylor, the beautifully be-permed Gwen Taylor, um, who enjoyed a 2001 run in Coronation Street alongside Helen Worth, who strolled along a different set of cobbles in 1968's Oliver with... Agatha, Tabitha and Bagatha and Pegatha Mount. Oh, now you have muddled me. I don't know where I am. Nice! Love it. Mr Moss, how about yourself, sir? Me and my faithful steed, Black Satin, shall gallop forthly up the mountain in two. Another two! Duty Free stars Neil Stacey, who appeared in an episode of the 1979 Quatermass series next to Gretchen Franklin, who starred in the Gypsy's Curse episode of You're Only Young Twice with Lady Pegasus Montenegro. Oh, we'd better have this from the beginning. Sit down. Nice. Beautiful. Beautiful. L- loving this. Loving this. Blackout. Well, I'm going to have to do it in two, aren't I? Duty Free stars Joanna Van Geiskem, who also appeared in the sitcom Down to Earth that featured James Grout, who was in the Fat Chance episode of Inspector Morse with... Peggy Mount. What about the man with the gun? Superbly done, everyone. Superbly done. I'm pleased I am not sat on a beach in Spain because I would miss blackout with your socials. Yes, thank you once again for being here. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email PeggyMountPod at gmail.com or we are at PeggyMountPod on Twitter. You can also find us by searching for the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour on Facebook. Don't forget to go to PeggyMountPod.com to check out the show notes for this episode. Extra, extra, extra special thanks to the chaps from the Exton Moss Experiment for dropping by as well. Gentlemen, where can people find you online? Thank you for having us, gentlemen. Uh, we are at Exton Moss on the Twitter sphere. Uh, we're on Facebook and the Insta. And we've also got show notes available at maverickproductions.blogspot.com. Check us out. We're very much like the Peggy Mount Boys, only less well researched. <laughs> The Exton Moss Experiment, where modesty prevails. There you go. As well as the tonic screwdriver and oral intercourse. Yes, that's another two of their 78 podcasts that they release every week. Make sure to check them out. So that's it for this episode, but make sure you join us next week as we begin our Peggy Mount Calamity Hour Christmas specials. Oh, yes. Until then, from all of us here at the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour... Remember, keep mountain. The Peggy Mount Calamity Hour is a free podcast from iCall Media which holds production copyright. Opinions and recollections expressed are not to be taken as fact. The title and credit music is by Dr. Velvet. Audio segments from television programs are presented for review and informational purposes only under fair use, and no ownership of these is claimed or implied by this show. For more information, visit PeggyMountPod.com. I have to say, the keep mounting, keep pegging thing is the most subtly filthy thing I've heard in ages, 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 ages.
Hope you enjoyed that as much as we did. We had a riot with these guys. And like I said, we'll be back with another two editions later in the month, where they guest on the Exton Moss Experiment. Until then, thank you so much for listening. You can find Dr. Velvet and Blackout at Peggy Mountpod on Twitter. They are well, well worth a listen because their podcast is its a bit like ours, but better researched. And they are just the most hilarious podcast to listen to. Heartily recommended. At Peggy Mountpod. Go and check them out. Until next time, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. The Exton Moss Experiment featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss. All featured soundtracks are the property of their respective producers, and no infringement of copyright is intended. Title music was performed by the BBC Symphony Orchestra, and the programme was produced by Maverick Productions. For more information, please visit maverickproductionsuk.blogspot.com or find us on social media.